The scripture reading this morning will come from Psalm chapter 90, verses 14 through 17. Psalms 90, verse 14 through 17. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants and splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Good morning. It's great to see you and great to be with you. I am so thankful, uh, my whole family, for all the cards, texts, the emails, uh, and definitely uh, prayers that went up for my family this week. Uh, last Sunday, as we were leaving, uh, we had uh, the opportunity to have my sister and, and my brother-in-law and their two kids with us last Sunday morning, and my parents. And as we got up, and, and some of you can totally relate to this, uh, as we got up, we, I looked to my mom, and we'd had three toddlers on a pew and one newborn. And she just look, looked at me and she said, I feel, like, I feel like I've just gone through a wrestling match right now. And uh, I, I looked at Chelsea when we got in the car. And just by chance, I, I, it's funny how people get on your mind. And on Sundays, my, my granny's on my mind a lot, uh, always has been. And I got in the car and I said, you know, we, we're tired from wrestling Presley most Sundays. Um, but we were tired as a group of six from wrestling three. But my granny would pick her five grandchildren up when we were little in East Tennessee. And sometimes, I guess, illegally because of the amount of seatbelts in the car, take us all to a little country church in East Tennessee and provide us with the foundation that we had. Uh, and I'm so grateful for everything she's done. So if you're tired this morning, if you're a grandparent that brings your grandkids, if you're a single mom, single dad, uh, it's worn out wrestling, keep wrestling. Uh, I promise that's making an impact. Uh, if you haven't been here in the last several weeks, uh, we've kind of unveiled, uh, given out our new mission statement. Uh, what we're going to focus on as a church family, not that we're not focusing on the whole Bible, but these are going to be things that we talk about often because we feel like they're things that are, that are truly foundational to our faith and what are going to shape our church family. And that, that statement is, West 7th Street Church of Christ, striving to be completely committed followers of Jesus, discipling, equipping, serving, loving. Um, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, in the Great Commission Jesus is coming to the disciples and says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Yeah, the picture, these are the 11 people, these are men who had been with Jesus and who had literally followed him for a huge portion of their life. That they had given their lives over to him and followed him for these years. And that some worshipped, but others doubted. But notice something about Jesus. Their doubt 
doesn't make Jesus stop in whatever the number was. He doesn't stop and he doesn't say, hey, we've got seven here that, that are fully ready. Seven here who love me and are devoted to me. And we have these other four that they're just kind of in. They're not all in. They're not all there yet. So I'm going to need you to go home. Uh, I'm not sure I can use you because you still have a little bit of doubt in your heart. So I want you to think about this this morning as we get going. That when it comes to becoming a disciple, becoming a true follower of Jesus, that Jesus can work with your doubt. It's not something new to Jesus to deal with our doubt. So these were men that were equipped. These were men that were prepared. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, it's because they had given such a huge portion of their life to following after Jesus, to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so they were already prepared, they were already equipped to go out and to do the same for other people. And the second part of the verse, and this, this goes with our whole mission statement, to understand that this is totally scripture, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I commanded you. Teaching them everything I commanded you. That, that's what equipping is. So this morning, as we get into this, what we're going to do is, I'm going to be talking mainly about what it means to be equipping here at West 7th and discipling. And then next Sunday, we're going to tell off each other. And Randy's going to talk about loving and serving next Sunday morning. And we're going to talk about all four in our home Bible studies next Sunday evening. So I, so I hope you can connect all of these into what we're trying to do. Uh, first off, let's think about that word, equipping. And for me, when I, when I think about the word equip, it's not a word I use every day. It's not something that I use in my everyday language, in my everyday conversation. But one I do use that is a parallel is preparing. I don't wake up in the morning and think, am I equipped for this day? But I do. I don't go through my routine and try to be equipped for the day, but I do. Because what I'm doing is saying, am I prepared to do this? Uh, if you've ever entered into something and been unprepared, you know what a horrible, horrible feeling it is. I can remember when I was a teenager, just started preaching uh, for the last, for a couple of years, and I, I decided one Sunday evening, it was out at a church towards, uh, towards Hickman County, I can't remember the name of the congregation, but I, I was way out in the country, I decided that night that I wasn't going to use any notes. I decided I wasn't, wasn't going to use notes, and I had this sermon ready, and I had it in my head, and I got up, and I froze, and I couldn't remember a thing, and there's not a worse feeling than to be that unprepared, that I didn't have my backup, I didn't have something there that if I did forget what I wanted to say, that if I did forget my points, if I did forget my thoughts, and so gradually a couple things came to me, but uh, people were really pretty pleased because they were out by about 6.25 that night, Uh, so maybe a new strategy, maybe what we should go for on Sundays. Um, but it wasn't a good feeling and never is a good feeling to not be equipped, to not be prepared. Uh, let's think about a couple aspects of why equipping. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, it reads, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
So the idea when we come here as a church family, when we're studying our Bibles, what we're putting in here is that we leave and that we're thoroughly equipped, thoroughly prepared. I love the way the message says it. He says, in the, when it comes to the teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, he says, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and listen to this one, training us to live God's way. So first thought there when it comes to equipping, there's no way on one Sunday morning, that's the thing, this is going to be part of our dynamic, part of our makeup, that we can talk about everything that we're equipping for here. That it should be something that we're doing every single Sunday, but I want you to know from the start that we're prepared by Scripture. And we're prepared by Scripture to train us to live God's way. And I like that word also, we got equipping, we got preparing, but I like that word of training. Because we think in that way. We get that when we have a goal out in front of us that we train to reach that goal. That if you're told something ahead of time, maybe you're going to preach at a church and that you should have some notes as backup in case your memory fails you. That we train ahead of time. We do the things that are going to prepare us for that moment. And when it comes to living our lives as Christians, we're prepared by Scripture. We're prepared by what we get from his word. Also, prepared to pray. Prepared to pray. I like the way Carl Barth put it. He said, to be a Christian and to pray are one and the same thing. It's a matter that cannot be left to our caprice. It is indeed a kind of breathing necessary to life. It is a kind of need, a need, a kind of breathing necessary to life. In other words, what he's trying to say, what he's wording here, and what we're, when we're preparing to be able to pray, is that this should be something that as a Christian becomes unconscious. It's not something that we have to even consciously think about doing anymore. It's just something that goes with your faith is praying. And I know that, that can be confusing to some of us because sometimes we do think, I don't know how to pray. Or maybe we think about other people in our life and we think, they're good at praying. They have a good prayer life, but that's just not me. And I think it's the opposite. I think we develop it because of how natural it actually is once we start doing it. You know, when, when the apostles, when they approached Jesus, the disciples in Luke 11, it says that Jesus had been praying. He'd gone off to pray. And when he had finished praying, they asked him, teach us to pray. So, so it's a natural reaction to want to learn how to pray better. But then you know in this model prayer that Jesus goes and he gives these simple directions that I think we can take a lot from, and we could do a whole lesson we want from there today. But to understand that praying is just making sure you do it. Sitting down and talking to God continually, and then it becomes something that's like breathing. I don't think about taking my next breath, I just naturally do it. And you don't think about as a Christian, when can I find time to pray today? You just do it. It's something we constantly do. Prepared to pray, prepared by Scripture, prepared to stop faking being prepared. Now think about that one with me for a minute. Prepared to stop faking being prepared. So because this is something we're really good at in church. We're really good at faking like we're prepared. And I'm not talking about your Bible class that maybe you didn't prepare enough for today. I'm not talking about getting up here. I'm talking about doing things every single day. We're good at faking 
like we're preparing. Um, I can think back, there was a, a girl I knew, I won't give any names, that was in Central's band. And if you know about Central's band, they've had a ton of success over the years. And when I was in high school, uh, they won the Contest of Champions a couple times. And this was actually one of the years that they won Contest of Champions, the state championship of marching band. And this girl played clarinet, but here's the catch. She really didn't play clarinet. Now, now she did. Like, like that was what she had played with the one. That's what she technically knew how to do. But at some point, she had stopped developing. She stopped doing anything else. And so she went her whole senior year, or junior year, in a state championship band, and she would march, and she would do everything to look right. She had her uniform on. She knew her steps. She knew where she was supposed to be, but she never played a note. And that's crazy. crazier part is, None of the directors knew it. Nobody around her knew it. It was so easy to, instead of putting in the effort to actually develop those skills, to develop those notes that she was supposed to know, to just fake it and know those basics that would keep her from being noticed while she was out there. And I think that happens to us a lot when it comes to our faith, uh, that we, we become so good at faking it. We become so good at faking it that we can put on the right clothes and we can go through the proper steps that somebody looks at you and you're a part of the whole, you're a part of the body, and they just see you as somebody else that has it down. And in reality, you've never played a note. In reality, you've never gone past it. So we need to become an environment that if we're preparing people, if we're equipping people, we have to become an environment, get this, of I want it instead of I've got it. Because I don't blame everybody for acting that way. I blame us for others feeling like they have to act that way. Because we can create an environment where people come in and they see how other people do church. They see how other people dress. They see how other people have it all together. And so they become a Christian. They know that they're broken and they know that they're made whole. But then they're really not. And they have all these flaws. But they feel the pressure to act like they have it all together. And really they've never learned to play the first note. So they just go through their steps every single day. And we never know any different. We have to become a place that is I want it. Instead of always acting like I've got it. To be a place that prepares people to stop acting like we're always totally prepared. Because until that happens, we're not going to become people who are thirsty for change, who are thirsty for growth, who are ready to admit when we're missing a note or not playing one at all. Prepared to stop being, they can be prepared, and prepared for life. Prepared for life. And I know this is an extreme overgeneralization, uh, but for our time's sake, and to get through both these sides, th- this, is, this is what's behind equipping, preparing for life. And what we mean by that is to be a place, to be a church family that is honestly preparing us for the things that happen in our life, preparing us to be better parents, preparing us to be better husbands, wives, children, preparing us for the life transitions of college, the life transitions of being out of college and being on your own, preparing us to have a real faith that's developed on our own instead of one that's simply handed to us and never developed, that we prepare people for life. 
is the goal behind equipping. Prepare people for pain. Prepare people for, for suffering, for failures. And when you get that, it's going to be what the motive, what the goal behind equipping is. With this mission state, statement, everything's connected. Understand that. Everything's connected. When we talk about equipping, what we're talking about is equipping to serve. Equipping to love. Equipping to make disciples. Equipping to be a fully devoted follower. So, so these are things that are all connected to each other. And when we're prepared, when we're equipped to, make disciples, to be disciples, we're going to start making disciples. When we're being disciples in here, we're going to make disciples out there. A uh, few points, thoughts about discipleship. A disciple of Christ literally follows Jesus. A disciple literally follows Jesus. Sometimes we don't get that. And we would say it, we would answer the question, right, does it mean you follow Jesus? But no, it means we literally follow him. That means we're with him wherever it takes us. In Mark 8, verse 34, a verse we've said in recent weeks, Mark 8, verse 34, it says, Then he called to him, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Listen to that. Whoever wants to be my disciple follow me. See, and this can be something that we get lost in and we think is just kind of this blanket statement, but it was a literal statement. Whoever wants to be my disciple, follow me. I read a story from the, about Clarence Jordan. I don't know if you ever heard of him. The coin, I'm going to miss that, Coinonia Farm. Uh, they started in South Georgia back in, I think, the 50s. Uh, he, he was a man that was from a well-respected family, a wealthy family in South Georgia. And something bothered him growing up about the racial, racial segregation that was in his town, uh, about the fact that his church was all white, the, the fact that there, were, there was no unity, that there, there was this real racism and segregation in his town. And so he wanted to do something about it, so he created this community of believers of all different races. And because of that, in South Georgia in the 1950s, when segregation was in full effect, you can, you can guess what the reaction was. People boycotted their community. They wouldn't sell stuff to them. They were, they were honestly about to be done. I think they were going bankrupt. They couldn't do anything. So Clarence Jordan approaches his brother, Robert Jordan, who was a rising politician, uh, eventually, I think, became a state senator, uh, maybe the state Supreme Court even, uh, but a rising a lawyer, politician, and he asked him about giving them legal representation. And the conversation went like this. Clarence, I can't do that. You know my political aspirations. Why, if I represented you, I might lose my job, my house, everything I got. We might lose everything too, Bob. It's different for you. Why is it different? I remember, it seems to me that you and I joined the church on the same Sunday as boys. I expect when we came forward, the preacher asked me about the same question he did you. He asked me, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes. What did you say? I followed Jesus, Clarence. 
up to a point. Could that point by any chance be the cross? That's right. I follow him to the cross, but not on the cross. I'm not getting myself crucified. That I don't believe you're a disciple. You're an admirer of Jesus, but not a disciple of his. I think you ought to go back to the church you belong to and tell them you're an admirer, not a disciple. Well, now, if everyone who felt like I do did that, we would have a church. We wouldn't have a church, would we? The question, Clamp said, is do you have a church? Lee Camp says it this way, filled with such admirers, church becomes a community concerned only with doing church right, subsequently has little to do with discipleship and faithfulness with such transformation that obedience to the Lord is truly enabled. A disciple truly follows. You know, we've talked about this, becoming a fully devoted follower versus being just an enthusiastic admirer. And the truth is, it's not something new. To have this conversation with his brother in the 50s, it's not something new that we, we create churches, that America's created churches that are filled with enthusiastic admirers. People like Jesus. People that are willing to follow him to the cross. I'm not willing to follow him on the cross. But remember what Jesus said. He said, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, walk up and follow close behind while I carry the cross all by myself. A disciple of Christ truly follows Jesus. Um, Disciples leave. Uh, Disciples leave a lot. Disciples leave their nets. Disciples leave their tax collector's booth. Uh, Disciples leave their comfort. And this is something that's not easy. In Luke 14, verse 25, he says, Large crowds are traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Once you first sit down and estimate the cost, see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish Or Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him in 20, with, with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Those of you who don't, in other words, leave everything you have cannot be my disciples. These are hard words. These are the words of Jesus. These are challenging words. They're, they're not something that's meant to be sugar-coated. When Jesus said this, if we're not willing to leave our comfort. You know, we, we, can, we can read these passages and we can read Peter, Andrew, James, and John and think of Jesus as this majestic, glowing figure walking up and was how we picture it sometimes. But this was a really difficult decision to leave everything that provided you with comfort behind. We think about Matthew, the tax collector, when he's sitting in his booth, and yes, he hated his life. Yes, there was, there was so much of him that we know had to be eating him up inside or he wouldn't have this reaction to get up and leave. But at the same time, and we all have things like that in our life, there's so much comfort there. 
There was so much comfort in sitting in this place he hated. There was so much comfort in seeing this place that made him feel dirty and made him feel like, a, like just a worthless human being. And so it was difficult to leave that comfort. And it's still going to be difficult for us when we become true, true disciples of Christ to leave our comfort behind. But disciples leave their comfort to find their Christ. Disciples are willing to leave their comfort to find their Christ. Disciples don't know, don't have to know exactly where they're going because they know who they're following. We don't have to know exact, exactly how, where we're going because we know who we're following. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. So this is hard for us. To have this mindset of not knowing always exactly where we're going to end up, but being okay with that because of who we're following, that, that's easy to say and really hard to do because that takes extreme faith. And we're a group of people that, honestly, if you invite me to lunch in an hour, you know what my first question is going to be? Where are you going? Because I'm going to go and I'm going to weigh my options and I'm going to ask that question because I want to know, oh, well, if you're going here, well, I had a bad experience there and that's not my favorite place. Y'all have fun. It's not just a natural reaction of, yes, I'll absolutely go with you. Whereas as disciples, that's a reaction. When Christ is leading the way that we'll follow Him wherever it takes us. It doesn't matter if it's uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if it's hard that we're going to follow after Him. I think it's the reason for a lot of us we haven't gone further in our faith. is because we do look at these situations. We look and we ask that question. When God says, hey, go. Hey, here's an opportunity for you. That we want to say, okay, God, I'll be willing, but can you tell me exactly where we're going? Because I, I get that you're saying do this step, but... A lot of times, this step doesn't show me the end step. And that's just the way life is. And you know that. If you've ever taken a big fake leap in your life, and I know most people in here have done something like that, that you know that the next step doesn't show you the end step, and that's why it's the hardest thing to do, to listen to God, to know that God is leading you in a direction and say, I'm going to take this step not knowing where are we going because I know who is in the lead. Disciples are comfortable with where they're going because they know who's leading them. Disciples aren't created in four walls sitting in a pew. They're created on dirty roads, dusty roads, in rough situations, uncomfortable, in tough places. Disciples, if, we're, if it's just based off what's happening here, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ... It's not going to happen. True, true disciples are not created simply by being in this building, by sitting here and by worshiping on Sunday mornings. It's not the case. It has to be outside of these walls. You know, and Jesus always let us know how it was going to be. In Matthew 10, when he got ready to send out the twelve, he didn't make it sound like this was going to be something easy, but this is the time when they were going to truly become fully committed followers of him, he, when he tells them, he, he tells them exactly what's going to happen. He says, you're going to go from city to city. 
You're going to heal the sick. You're going to raise the dead. And you're going to cleanse leprosy. Not an appealing thing to do. Not something that you think, oh, I want to go and hang out with a bunch of sick people and a bunch of lepers all the time. And you know what? You're going to go from city to city, and there are going to be a lot of people to reject you. And what I want you to do is shake it off. Shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next house. And you know what might happen at the next house and probably is that they're going to throw you before the council and they're going to flog you. And they're going to beat you. And, and you're going to get thrown into prison, but don't let that bother you. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. Not this pretty picture that sometimes we paint it to be. Saying when you get out there, when you're actually becoming a disciple, being a disciple of Jesus, there's going to be some dirty, messy, ugly things that we go, go through. But then when he wraps that passage up, he says, but whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. When we get outside these walls, this is great. Church family, when we think about those first points, those first thoughts, equipping, preparing, that's what this should be. We come together as a church family to prepare each other, to build each other up, to edify each other. And then we go out and we grow ten times that amount by what we're living every day out there. We impact the world around us because that's what disciples of Christ do. It's not simply being in here. It's living Christ out there. Disciples have to eventually love it. You have to eventually love Jesus. And what I mean by this is if you don't love him, eventually you're going to leave him. In AD, 2nd century AD, in the letter to Diognetus in early, early Christian writing, it says he willed to save man by persuasion, not by compulsion, for compulsion is not God's way of working. Compulsion is not God's way of working. You, you get this. Eventually, you have to love it. I think about it when it comes to uh, getting in shape, training. Everybody in here has tried something to get in shape that they didn't like. Something that you didn't enjoy. Something that you're like, hey, you watched and you were, you were sitting one Sunday afternoon and you were flipping through the channels, nothing's on, and you came to ESPN2 and it was the CrossFit game, Reebok CrossFit Games. And you said, every single one of these people are in ridiculous shape. I'm going to try this. And so you went to CrossFit Gym over here in town, and you went for their free class on Saturday, and you hated it. You you were miserable. And for some of you, that that was it. But for some of you, maybe maybe whatever it was, wherever you went, you decided you'd keep going back. Why? Because you knew the results. But the truth is, when it comes to things like that, for me, I, I'm, I'm not a runner, if you can't tell. That's not my, you, you can tell me, hey, we're going to go lift weights. I love that. But tell me to go run two miles. I hate that. I don't want to do it. But there's been times in my life where I'm like, hey, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to start running every day. And I can force myself. I can force myself to go out and run a few miles. I can force myself to work that into my routine. But you know what eventually always happens with me? Because I've never broken through that barrier. I quit. At some point, I get to a content place. I think, hey, I'm pretty okay. And I quit running. I never get to the point that I love it. And I never get to the point that I truly love it. You think about this with your kids. I know, I know at some point, you've probably pushed something on them. 
And this is the hard part about this when it comes to our faith, when it comes to being a true disciple. You push something on somebody. And maybe they're naturally gifted at it. Maybe it was piano. Maybe it was baseball. Maybe it was trombone. I don't know what it was. But they were naturally gifted at it. And because you as a parent, you saw this talent, you saw what they could do, and you said, keep going, keep doing it. And we're good again, like we said before, at faking it. And so we can keep faking it and keep faking it, but there's going to be a point in life when it comes to that, no matter how good you are at being a Christian, no matter how good you look being a Christian, no matter how much you know the routine, how to do it, that if you don't eventually fall in love with Jesus, you're going to just wait for the next thing to come along that is worth leaving it for. Eventually, you have to love it, and you get that. When there's been anything in your life that you've loved, it wasn't an option. You thought this, you started this, and you thought, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And that's how our faith has to be. It has to eventually get to the point as disciples where you love it, and you think, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And that leaving it's not an option. Disciples will be forced to weigh the options. Many are going to leave. But some will know that that's not an option for them. Disciples will have opportunities to be forced in life to weigh our options. In John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 60, on hearing it, this is when Jesus has just preached a difficult sermon. If you're not willing to drink from my cup and to eat of my flesh, it was confusing, but it was hard, and they were getting it. He says, on hearing it in verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. If there are some of you who do not believe... For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus looked at him and said, said, Many of you don't believe. Now, that didn't mean they didn't believe enough to follow Jesus. Yes, they were already disciples of Jesus. They, they were following after Jesus like Benjamin Jordan to a point. To a point, I'm going to follow Jesus. And so when it got hard, when they said, this is a hard saying, the reaction when Christ didn't try and talk them into staying was that many of them left. And then it says, Jesus turned to the twelve he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? And I love Peter's answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? See, there's going to be points. As becoming a disciple of Christ doesn't mean that overnight we're naturally, all of a sudden we... we fully get it. But there has to be a point where we do. I think there has to be a point where we weigh the options, where we realize I have to get in or I have to get out, where this is a hard saying. And when Jesus says, 
are you going to leave too? That we truly feel the way Peter felt and we say, where? Where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? I love that aspect. As true disciples, we're becoming disciples. So don't get discouraged. But do ask yourself that question. Put in the same situation of option to follow Jesus or to walk away. Do you feel the way Peter felt? To whom shall I go? God, there's no other option but you. As mentioned a little while earlier, uh, I, I had the pleasure of baptizing my grandpa this week. Um, it's the same one that if you've read your prayer request in the bulletin, Paul McNeil. Um, and, and he's been really sick for a long time, I think 15 years now since he was first diagnosed with prostate cancer. Uh, he's still really sick right now. Uh, he has... Uh, keep praying for him. He has cancer's moved to his bladder. Um, uh, it's pretty bad shape uh, that we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. But my granny, is, as we talked about earlier, she she passed away suddenly on Sunday morning. My granny was a wonderful caregiver. Took care of my grandpa in a way that is not common anymore. Uh, that was pretty beautiful to watch. Most people would probably say was. Uh, anti-feminist, that they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't jump on board for that, but my granny loved it, found so much purpose in what she did, and she was actually sitting in the kitchen preparing dinner for my grandpa at the time of her death. But my grandpa, I'm driving Monday morning to get to East Tennessee and uh, get a call from my mom that, and I, my grandpa wanted to be baptized. And of course, you know, I couldn't wait to get there. Uh, my, my grandpa was sick enough that he couldn't get up the stairs uh, to, the, uh, to the baptistry. And luckily we had a volunteer fireman that went to church there and he got a bucket, a stretcher. We were able to strap him in and lift him up over into the baptistry. My grandpa weighs about 280, so this was no easy thing. My grandpa uh, told me, he'd talked to my granny Saturday night. And she'd asked him again, are you ready to be baptized? Are you going to be baptized? And he said he was. He didn't do it right away. He didn't do it right that moment. I know he wishes he had for my granny and for him. But the beautiful thing and my favorite thing, the memory that I'm going to stick with me is that as he came up out of the water, my grandpa's first words to me, he looked at me, well, his first words were, I barely got a snort. My grandpa's pretty country of the water, is what he said. Um, but then he said to me, tell Jean Ann what we did. Tell Granny what we did. And what I love about that is that he used the word we. Because a lot of people are going to look at that and, and I, did I talk to my grandpa about becoming a Christian? Absolutely, for years. Did I pray for him constantly since I was a teenager? But I got this cherished memory of lowering my grandfather into the water. But my granny got my grandpa to Christ. The way that she lived every single day in devotion and humble service 
to her Savior is what got my Jesus, my, got my father, my grandfather to Jesus. I love that he said that word, we, because my granny was all over my grandpa's conversion. So it's becoming a disciple. We can make lots of complicated formulas about how we're going to make disciples. How is a church family, how can West 7th grow? How, and, and we should think about these things. We should think about every facet that we can do to reach this community and be in a downtown church and to reach the people around us. And, and all these things that go into preparing us to be disciples. If you want to know the simple truth about how do you go and make disciples of all nations, be a disciple. Be a disciple of Christ and people will be constantly watching you. When we actually start going and living this life and we are truly different than the people around us, when we are disciples of Christ, it's going to change the world around us. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never become a follower of Christ. You've never taken that first step to say, I want to pick up my cross and follow you. I want to start this journey. We'd love to assist you in being baptized this morning and giving your life over to God. Or if you need prayers for any reason as a church family, would you come as we stand and sing?